Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Ghosts of Harrod Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 163 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 19 of A Storm of Swords. That's Tyrion 3. And as we always try to do, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. Hopefully we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show... Indulge in a little pedantry and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll provide you some additional information about the characters and other things of note in this chapter. How are you, McKelly? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine this morning. How about you? I'm doing all right. I mean, I'm I'm still in a sort of spiraling financial meltdown. (laughs) I can't catch a break. Uh, You know... We've been feeling that same way, basically, uh, since the start of summer. We're just like, where is the money going? Uh, <laughs> you know? I, I, I've, I've told you before that I couldn't get through it quicker if I had a bonfire of cash, <laughs> <laughs> which I was constantly feeding. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that's what it is, a bonfire of cash. <laughs> just keep shoveling it in. Uh, well, I will say, um, you see in the notes here, it says GOHFC. Oh, yes, I did see that. I have no idea what this means, but I'm excited. Uh, so uh, Ethan was here this past week, and when he's here, um, he usually hangs out with us at night. So we don't, Stacy and I don't watch our new, our usual lineup of shows that we watch. Like, I didn't get to watch House of the Dragon episode until Thursday in, instead okay. of Sunday. Um, so Ethan and I took to watching this Welcome to Wrexham show about Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, I think his name is, buying the Welsh soccer team. Uh, I'm acutely aware, McKelly. Yes, okay. Well, well, for for anyone else out there who's not aware, (laughs) they they buy a Welsh soccer team that's been kind of down on its luck. It's it's below Oldham, correct? I mean, Oldham's in Division 2, and Wrexham is the division below that, right? Uh, McKelly... (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> this is sort of subject. This might be it. This might be it for this podcast. Oldham last season fell into the division with Rex. Oh, that's okay. They are currently yes. our bitter, bitter rivals. So do not take their side. Let me tell Would you. Would never do such a thing <laughs> with their Deadpool money. Yeah, exactly. Well, so yeah, that's the thing. So they buy this club, and and Rob McElhaney in the first episode says. I knew, you know, I have TV star money. I knew I was going to need movie star money. <laughs> I knew I was going to need superhero movie star money. <laughs> and so he taps Ryan Reynolds, and they'd actually never met in person before they buy this club together. But that was very strange. I, I read that. Yeah, I, I, I found found it odd too. But basically, they're just doing this documentary, like the whole thing. From the idea to buy it all the way through the purchase process, and you know it's all documented. And but my my issue, it's a fun show. I'm enjoying it. But my issue with it is that they're actors doing uh-huh. a documentary. Uh-huh. So the whole time they're doing the documentary, 
I in my mind, I think they're just acting. You know, yeah. like like I envision Ryan Reynolds being handed a sheet of information about this club he bought 10 minutes before the Zoom calls that they have, reading up on it and then being like, "What? Oh goodness, wow." You know. <laughs> so but yeah. anyway, why it says GOHFC is because I thought we should take our podcast riches and oh. buy a club, possibly Oldham. We could dump, all, you know, we could dump all this GOH wealth into Oldham and, and become rivals. <laughs> See what which... I, I will say that I, I actually think that Ryan Reynolds is a bit of a hard nosed businessman. Yes. And he knows what he seems doing, to be. Right? Yes. If if you were to take a club like Wrexham and build them back up, I mean, for example, if you move into the Premier League, which from where Wrexham are takes a minimum of four seasons, they would have to move up to the second division, the first division, the championship, and then the Premier League. But when you move into the Premier League, you get written a check for conservatively $350 million. Woo! That'll that work. day, they just <laughs> hand it over to you, yeah? Right. And optimistically, way over half a billion. Way over half a billion. So this is chump change compared to what the riches you can make right. from owning the soccer club. Yes. However, the bonfire of cash would be a much bigger bonfire of cash in the meantime. So you do need movie star reserves to get to that point. Sure. But if you get there, oh my goodness, you can become <laughs> super wealthy after this. Uh, yes, I can imagine. I can imagine. But, you know, Ethan kept making the argument. He's like, but this is not fair. Like, they're, they got that player, like the best player in the champion division or, or division one or something that should have gone to the champion division. Instead, he came all the way down to, not, I shouldn't say all, okay. Uh, he he took a, a, a couple steps back. You are on thin ice. <laughs> I can see it in your face. <laughs> he took a couple steps back to play for Wrexham when with no other player in that, no other team in that division would be able to get such a quality player. Right, right. And they, yeah, know. I mean, it's, it's, it's also that division... That division is kind of like a microcosm of the division below the Premier League because it's it's the division that everybody wants to get out of, right. you know. So it's it's hard scrabble, and people, you know, on a much smaller scale, people really invest. I mean, I mean, if you're a billionaire, any team in the division below the Premier League is a great investment. Oh sure, because yeah. you've got a three in twenty two chance of moving up to the Premier League and getting that half billion dollar check. Sure, yeah, in one year, buy low. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can sell them after that. Take right. a check with you. you know? <laughs> so, anyway. but but it's the fifth tier, which is where Wrexham and Oldham are, is is a sort of microcosm of that because it's the first league that's not fully professional. Above that is fully professional, and so there's television money and stuff like that in the division above. And you know, I mean, definitely not riches, but a lot more than in the fifth tier. Sure. Right. My my sister is still going to almost every Oldham game. I mean, like, and and we've become we've we were Premier League. Just remind you of this. We were Premier League. Right. And now we're in this fifth tier of semi professionals, and we've become such a mar and par operation. I mean, she knows she's on first name terms with every single person involved in the club. Oh wow! Because wherever she stands, she's within talking distance. <laughs> Or yelling distance of the players. <laughs> In Lucy's case. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, I think that's what we should do with all of our uh, riches we've 
We will have to buy a smaller club than that. Let me tell you. <laughs> because that's the thing. How, how do you pay anyone? Because I mean, I mean, what do you get? Where do you get money from? Because we're trying to figure out that out just between ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> how do we pay ourselves? <laughs> we might have to start with like an eight U uh, soccer team, <laughs> right? I mean, because because you're going to get no gate receipts and you're going to get no sponsorships. You have no income essentially. Right, Oldham and Wrexham, they have a little bit of that, but not enough to pay real wages to their players. Sure, yeah. So it's just a, it's just well, a cash. It, I mean, you, it is a cash cow in the wrong direction. So it's a, it is a huge advantage for Wrexham to have, let's say, Ryan Reynolds' money. Right. I mean, because I mean, the other clubs are just scra- scratching by. Right. Exactly. And 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 with Ryan Reynolds' money, they can afford to operate at a loss. Right. Now, there are some financial fair play rules in place to stop people from operating at a significant loss. Oh, For exactly that reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. Major League Baseball should should, uh, adopt that, but uh, that's for another day. The the thing is that they're not that strong and they're not that well policed. So I'm sure if he he wanted to lose four million a year, he could and he would have a very good team down there. But even that, it's just no guarantee. I mean, it's just no guarantee. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not, we didn't watch that many episodes, but things aren't exactly going swimmingly thus far. Yeah, so. um, I did see when, when Wrexham came to Oldham for the game, um, I did see that the fans were fighting in the streets outside, which was rather exciting, back oh, to the old days. Yes, okay. I really wished, I saw a video of it, and it looked, you know, like typical football hooliganism. Um, I really wished both sides were wearing Deadpool masks. <laughs> much funnier. Yes, it would have. <laughs> well, before right. we started uh, recording, we were like, "Okay, we've got a huge show, so let's yeah. uh, let's not dilly dally well, before we well, start." Well, then we started talking about football. <laughs> I know. What, what do you expect me to do? <laughs> uh, anyway, let's let's get down to business. Yes. Then, how did we leave Tyrion Lannister? Last we saw of Tyrion, he was paying a visit to Lord Varys in Varys's own sparse chambers. He learned that Grandmaster Pycelle was being reinstated to the small council, and Sir Boris Blunt was being reinstated to the Kingsguard, both loyalists, especially now, to his father Tywin. However, he failed to learn any new information about the motives behind Sir Mandon Moore's attempt on Tyrion's life. He scheduled a rendezvous with Shay with plans to break off their relationship for her own good. Right. Shay not only persuaded him otherwise, but to also promise to protect her. Finally, Tyrion sent Bronn to find the singer Simon Silvertongue, who knows much more about his relationship with Shay than Tyrion would like. McKelly, why don't we give the summary of this one? Okay. Tyrion sits at the small council table with the other council members. There are many new faces around the table. Aside from his father and his uncle Kevin, they're joined by the Reach Lords Mace Tyrell, Paxter Redwine, and Mathis Rowan. Tyrion realizes that with all the new faces since he last sat at this table, the rules of the game have changed. However, he's not sure what the new rules are. Tywin wants to kick things off by getting a war update. Varys is happy to oblige. He's got good news. Randall Tarly met the Northern Force led by Robert Glover and Helmon Tolhart outside of Duskendale and sent the Northern Force into a retreat to Harrenhal. In their path, the Northmen will soon find Sir Gregor Clegane and his men. Helmon Tolhart is reported dead along with a thousand Northmen. Tywin adds that his brother-in-law slash cousin, Sir Davin, is reforming what's left of Davin's late father Stafford's army. When Robb Stark goes north to reclaim Winterfell, the force will descend upon Riverrun. Meanwhile, 
Balon Greyjoy, the newly self-appointed King of the Isles in the North, has proposed alliance terms. The terms are simple. Recognize him as the king of all north of the Neck. A proposal Mace Tyrell and Paxter Redwine are all too happy to accept. What use is the North anyway? Next on the agenda, the issue of Lysa Arryn and the Knights of the Vale sitting idle thus far. Tyrion wants to take a force into the Vale and crush her, but Tywin has other plans for him. Instead, Peter Littlefinger Baelish will travel to the Eyrie, woo and marry Lysa, then bring the Vale into the King's Peace. His elevation to Lord of Harrenhal greatly aids his chances of being found as an acceptable match for a woman of Lysa's station, a detail Tyrion realises that Littlefinger knew all along. As for Tywin's other plans for Tyrion, he'll take Littlefinger's place as Master of Coin. The idea makes Tyrion wary. Paxter Redwine wants to get back to the Greyjoy Alliance offer. Seeing merit in adding the Ironborn logships to his fleet, and using the combined force to crush Stannis on Dragonstone. Tywin points out the Ironborn are, are already doing what they want them to do, fighting the Starks, so why buy the cow when the milk is free? They'll wait to see if a better offer comes along. Tyrion is reminded of the important letters his father was writing when he visited him in the Tower of the Hand. He wonders if these might be associated with this better offer. His thoughts are disrupted when Grand Maester Pycelle announces that 300 Dornishmen are riding for King's Landing, much to the dismay of Mace Tyrell. Tywin shuts Tyrell down and steers the conversation towards sweeter pastures, dividing up the spoils of war. In all, 47 lesser lordlings and 619 knights died for Stannis in the Battle of the Blackwater. As traitors, their heirs will be disinherited and their lands and castles given to more loyal subjects. Mace Tyrell proves to have an appetite for the fruits of victory that suit his portly stature. His top prize is Brightwater Keep, seat of House Florent. Its lands and incomes will now belong to his second son, Sir Garland. A few minor details put a wrap on the meeting. Sir Adam Marbrand has found some crystals from the previous High Septon's crown. Tywin wants a new one commissioned for the new High Septon in time for the royal wedding. An actual kraken was spotted off the coast of the Fingers, a war between Tyrosh and Lys seems imminent, and a three-headed dragon has hatched in Karth. None of that interests Tywin. What news of his missing nephew, Tyrek? No news of Tyrek. However, some gold cloaks who fled during the battle have returned. Tyrion and Varys argue that they be sent to the Night's Watch, as ravens with dire tidings have arrived from Castle Black. Tywin's not interested. Let Rob Stark and Balon Greyjoy sort that out. They want to be kings. The men's knees will be broken with hammers as a lesson. With that, Tywin closes the meeting for all but his family. When alone, Tyrion questions his promotion to Master of Coin, a notion put forth by Littlefinger himself. That's Tyrion's concern. He doesn't trust Littlefinger, neither should his father. Kevin points out that Littlefinger has been loyal. In fact, just yesterday he brought word of a Tyrell plan to spirit Sansa Stark away to Highgarden to marry Willis Tyrell. This news shocks Cersei and Tyrion alike. Sansa is Cersei's hostage. She goes nowhere without her leave. But it's a leave that she must grant, if asked, or chance offending the Tyrells. So they must forestall Mace from making the request. But how? By a marriage. Cersei's marriage. What the? Over her dead body? She's young, fertile, and a marriage will put an end to the incest claims from the Stannis camp. Despite Cersei's best protests, Tywin will win this battle, Tyrion is sure. 
the suitors? The list ranges from Balon or Theon Greyjoy to Oberyn Martell to one of the Redwine twins, but it's Willis Tyrell that Tywin prefers. Cersei's heard enough. She storms out with her father's leave, of course. His father's eyes now turn to Tyrion. Astute as always, Tyrion guesses what Tywin has planned. You plan to marry me to Sansa Stark. Yes, and quickly. Sansa is married before Mace can request her hand for Willis. He cannot be offended. Tyrion is as disturbed as he is intrigued by the prospect of marrying young Sansa. She's a child, but Tyrion Lannister, Lord Protector of Winterfell, has a ring to it. Reluctantly, Tyrion agrees. But there's one issue. Rob Stark will have kids with his fray wife, and they will be his heirs. Tyrion and Sansa's children will inherit nothing. Not so. Tywin reveals that Rob has married Jane Westerling. Tyrion is stunned, both for Rob's unfathomable decision and the Westerlings. They stand to lose everything. The crag is close enough to Castamere to know what happens to those who cross Tywin. Though Tywin seems hardly bothered. Tywin assures Tyrion that the Westerlings are well aware of what happened to Castamere. He leaves Tyrion with a parting line. The greatest fools are oft-times more clever than the men who laugh at them. Ah. Woo! That is a chapter right there. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 always the way, but I just love what goes on in King's Landing. You know, it's just... Yes. Things tick along, you know, and and, and it's the fulcrum of everything. So you, you actually check in on all the other storylines, basically. Right. I mean, even, even Danny's storyline gets a mention here. Yeah, it's basically the heartbeat of the show. I mean, yeah. of the story, you know. Yeah. yeah, and this one, my audiobook had it at 51 minutes. Wow. And uh, wow. yeah, and every, just about every sentence of it was packed with information <laughs> <laughs> that either we were finding out or that we knew and that other characters were finding out and reacting to it. Yeah. So it was really tough you know, to do a show when we get to on. the TV show, actually, you'll see that um, in the TV show, we get a lot less than this, but we actually get more as well. There are, there are things that, that are discussed at this council meeting that haven't reached the book character's ears. For example, uh, they know that Jamie has escaped. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting what the differences are. Yeah. Well, we could, we could seriously have done uh, a three-episode series on this chapter alone. Says there's but just... we're going to cram it in. That's right. So the wholesale seat changes around the small council table paint a fascinating picture of uh, the new world order that's imposed since Tywin's come to town. So Tywin's sitting in the king's seat, and then Cersei and Kevin are right, uh, at his sides, and Tyrion's at the far end. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Yeah, it. I think that the the fact that he goes through where people are sitting, Martin does, is intentional to capture this new reality with Kevin and Cersei, Tywin's right and left hand people, 
you know, there on one side of the table, on each side of him, flanking him, and then Tyrion, the outcast, is at the complete opposite end of the table by himself. And then we've got all these Reach Lords kind of just, they're they're a group, they're kind of aligned to each other. And then we've got Littlefinger and Varys, they're kind of wild cards, they're each kind of doing their own thing, and and you just get this sense that Tyrion is on an island way down there at the end of the table. Oh, and you've got Grandmaster Pycelle. Who's as far away as possible from Tyrion up next which, to Cersei. Which would be sitting on Tywin's lap, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much. He's he's next to Cersei, his benefactor and protector. So I just I thought I thought it was pretty neat how he set the stage set the, the chess pieces around the board there. Yeah, I also thought it was interesting that um he he mentions that he thinks that uh, Kevin he says Kevin is Tywin's van in council meetings. He never has a thought that Tywin hasn't had first, <laughs> which I think is interesting because I'm not sure exactly how Kevin was portrayed in the TV show, but I always thought of him as being just slightly buffoonish and sort of like Tywin didn't really trust him. But here it feels like he is a trusted mouthpiece, at least, if not, a, you know, doesn't have his own ideas, but he is the mouthpiece, which means that Tywin must be confiding quite deeply in him in order to be a mouthpiece. Yes, it it feels like if Tywin is the CEO of Lannister Enterprises that Kevin is his his COO maybe, his chief operating officer. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I, on one hand it's a little bit of a a dig at Kevin that he's never had a thought that Tywin hadn't had first. Like right. he, he's not intelligent enough to come up with his own ideas. Right. But it feels like Tywin seems to fully trust him at least right exactly tywin's telling him things he's not telling to cersei and Tyrion. right yeah yeah it's a it's definitely a much fuller table than the skeleton crew when Tyrion was hand of the king it's... yeah but isn't this some of this just because of the aftermath of the battle i mean I, yes I, I i don't think that the red wines and the rowans will be at that table going forward although have they been invited to the small council or is it just because they're in town oh i i think they've been invited I, um, but but to be members of the small council that's a good question because there were no titles designated you that's know. what i thought like so, you you so, figure that um maybe pax of redwine would be master of ships now oh uh, yes but there point, was no mention of any of these titles so it could be just yeah. in, because they're in town and because they're important lords that they're that the lannisters are still in the process of building an alliance with yeah, so Tyrion's concerned that the rules have changed and he doesn't know the new rules. But honestly, it doesn't seem that complicated to me. I mean, I mean, Mace Tyrell is a sort of like a a, a fulcrum of power on this uh, table, and Cersei is going to be herself, but at the same time, it's Tywin's lapdog. Right. And Grand Maester Pycelle is just going to be a further version of that. <laughs> yeah. And Kevin's going to be the mouthpiece. There just doesn't seem that much to learn. I mean, it's you know. That's he's true. got to tread carefully because he doesn't know who he can trust and who he can't. Like for instance, he he has kind of trusted Varys in the past, but now can he trust Varys anymore? What what is where's Varys's allegiance? Right, and he never trusted Littlefinger, so that that's probably smart not to change that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, before the Battle of Blackwater, it was basically just Cersei and him duking it out. Right. And, you know, with all these new faces and with Tywin present, clearly Tyrion's power has greatly diminished and yeah. he's also in the larger scheme of 
politics around King's Landing, basically all of his allies are gone. Jaslyn yes. Bywater's dead. His clansmen have, are no longer in the city. And now, unfortunately for Tyrion, his arch nemesis, his sister Cersei, is more closely aligned with the new leader than he is. So it's going to be problematic. But yeah, like you said, I mean, the rules, they, they haven't changed that much. He knows who everybody at the table is. You right. know, it's, so. Um, so Varys explains that the um, the Stark force that was headed to Duskendale has been defeated by Randall Tarly. Um, what, and their retreat takes them back towards Harrenhal, but Sandor Cle- uh, Gregor Clegane is waiting for them on the road, so they're in big trouble. Helmand Tolhart is dead with a thousand others, and Robert Glover leads the retreat uh, into the trap. Um, so Tywin told Tyrion of this plan um, when Ty- Tyrion visited in the Tower of the Hand, um, sending Randall Tarly up the Rosby Road to meet them at Duskendale. Um, Tyrion thought it was pointless for the Starks to attack Duskendale, not worth the effort, and thought that this might be Rob's first blunder. But again, we're not sure if this command came from Rob or from uh, Roose Bolton. Right, because we were there in Arya's POV in Roose Bolton's chambers when he gave the command, and he said it was the king's command. But we right. we did not see any evidence that it was the king's command. And his reasoning to send this fairly large force to Duskendale was because it was rich farmland that had hardly been touched by war. So it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. The whole thing never made a lot of sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I got nothing really. I mean, there's no... I mean, Roos is a bit of an agent of chaos, so maybe what he said was true. I see some some place that has not been affected by the war. Let me bring war to it. Right, especially as winter is coming. Let's right. burn let's, more. Let's destroy some more crops. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but the, what, what is interesting, how quickly is how quickly the Lannisters knew of this plan, and so were able to sort of set the trap for it. So it feels something's leaking out of Harrenhal. Yes, yes it does. Yeah. Um, we get an update on Lancel. Lancel Lannister is Kevin's son. Um, apparently he has some good days and some bad days. You know, he was injured in the uh, Battle of the Blackwater. Um, Cersei comes often to pray for him, and Tyrion, of course, wonders whether she's praying for him to live or die. It's uh, <laughs> Both work, especially the dying. Um, uh, remember, the reason he was injured in the battle was because he uh, part of his deal with Tyrion for spying on Cersei was that he would get command in the battle. Well, be careful what you wish for, Lancel. Right. Um, and... When Cersei wanted to bring Joffrey into Mago's keep during the battle, Lancel begged her to reconsider. Yeah, it was the final, the moment where Lancel actually sort of did something sort of noble and off right. his back. He actually yes. said, don't do that. We need the king out here with us. Um, yeah. Now, now but... Tyrion thinks, you know, like you said, he's wondering whether Cersei is praying for Lancel to live or die because he, he thinks that now that Tywin is in town, it's a bit dangerous for for Cersei to have Lancel, a smoking gun to further incest. Although at least this is cousin to cousin. Tywin married his first cousin, so right, right, and 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 uh, Cersei is not married at the moment, so right. You know, it's, it's, it, 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 the crime is not so great, but it's certainly, if news of that got out, it would certainly fan the flames of the incest claim. True. For sure. Yes. Uh, but then again, I mean, what's in it for Lancel to reveal this? You know, he's, you know, 
he he's as culpable as she is, and he gains nothing from it other than notoriety. Yeah, yeah, and he gains a lot of enemies. Right. It doesn't. There'd have to be a really good reason to right bring it up. Yeah. So w- Rob Stark uh, went into the Westerlands and destroyed Stafford Lannister's army. Um, Stafford's son Davon is reforming the remnants of that army that was defeated at Arx Cross, and this is because I mean Rob was stretched thin and he's basically retreated back from the West, back towards River, back to River Run, and so the West is once again in the hands of the Lannisters, and so free to rebuild their armies. Of course, if you've killed their people, that that is a big component of the armies. Right, yes. If the original force was routed by... Now, they were routed by a surprise attack by Rob, but, you know, if they've already been routed, a lot of their people were killed, how high quality can this third iteration of the Lannister force be? Because the original... Lannister force is with Tywin, what's what's left of that original one. And the second force was the one that Stafford Lannister was building. That one was destroyed. And now Davin is putting together a third copy of it. So you have to imagine the quality continues to degrade here. Right. But the plan for it is not entirely daft because they expect that Rob, because of the news of what's going on in the north, Rob is going to have to go north, leaving River Run back undefended again, and this staff, this uh, Devon Lannister's army can descend on River Run and besiege it once more, and River Run again becomes you know, a, a hot zone. Yeah, that's true. And According to Brendan Tully, there is a bit of upgrade in the leader because That's way back right. when it was like the yeah. first cat chapter of Clash of Kings or something like that. He told Cat that Stafford Lannister was a bit of a dullard, but his son Davin was more of a threat. Yeah. And now here Davin is putting this one together. So, you know. Yeah. So Balin Greyjoy has proposed an alliance. Um, he wants everything north of the Neck. And, you know, sort of like there's there's various opinions on this within the small council. Cersei questions by what right does he claim half the kingdom? Um, and Tywin says, makes an interesting point. He says it's by conquest, which, of course, in many ways for the seven kingdoms over the last 300 years has been the defining way one claims something by conquering it uh, all the way back to Egan, that, that he, right. Egan had no claim to be the lord of the king of the seven kingdoms. But he had a dragon and he claimed it and everyone said, okay then. Okay, so you're the leader. <laughs> so it's all so, yours. So uh, Tywin, Tywin, you know, gives legitimacy to Balon's claim. Um, it would give him, he already has the stranglehold on the north. He's got Moat Kaelin, Winterfell and Deepwood Mart. His longships command the Sunset Sea. Um, so, you know, he's he's in good position. And if the Lannisters wanted to forcibly remove him, it would be a big pain, a big pain to do that. In the same way, it's going to be a pain for Rob to do it. Right. It'll be a pain yeah. for the Lannisters to do it. At least if it were Rob, he is the king of the north. So he, he should have would the have remaining, the the yes, yes, the remaining people there should, uh, you know, flock to his side. But yeah. uh, Mace Tyrell and, and Paxa Redwine were all for it. Mace May said, uh, if, hey, if Balon Greyjoy is willing to trade sword and sails for stone and ice, let's do it. And Or, yeah, yeah. Paxter Redwine, he thought 
the idea of combining the Ironborn ships with his fleet would equal enough strength to crush Stannis on Dragonstone, but I thought, clearly there's not been much recon on the status of the Dragonstone fleet, because we saw when Davos sailed into the fleet, or into the harbor there, it was basically empty, aside from the... Right, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I think some of that is, is just sort of like uh, parochialism. I mean, I mean, the Tyrells and the Redwines... They're soft southern lords. They have no idea what's the point of having the north in the Seven Kingdoms, and so um, they don't see any reason to sort of to, to fight it. So Tywin's attitude is is um, is interesting because he's he's sort of like ambivalent about this. He's not rejecting it, but he's like, well, let's just see. If... He's already doing what we want him to do. We don't have to, you know, give him anything to keep him doing what he's doing because what he's, you know, everything he's doing is working in our favor without us forming right. an alliance with him. Yes. So let's string him along, which seems like a perfect answer to me. But it really, for some reason, it really triggers something in Tyrion that he thinks that he's got another plan. But actually, I, I actually think, taking Tywin's words at face value, I actually think it's perfectly reasonable. Right. Maybe six months from now, we will form an alliance with the Greyjoys. Yeah, and later um, on, that's what he says to Cersei when he proposes the idea of right. Balon. He's like, I'm not sure yet how I feel about the Greyjoy alliance. And maybe the some, the better option that Tyrion latches onto. So what Tyrion, before I get there, what Tyrion's thinking about is those letters that when he right. came, when he woke up from his coma and met Bronn, and then Bronn helped him get up to the Tower of the Hand, he's... Tywin was writing letters, and important letters, as he put it, and he said some uh, some battles are won with uh, sword and spear and some with ravens, and so that's what he's thinking about, what Tyrion is thinking about when he hears this better option thing. And later on in this, in this chapter, once all the rest of the small council leaves, that's when Tywin drops the bombshell of Cersei's going to remarry, and one of the options is Balon or Theon. So maybe that's the different option. Rather than, you know, let's just agree to him being the king and the king of the North and the Isles, we'll offer Cersei in marriage, and he'll bend the knee to us. Yeah. And we'll be just form I also find that the Redwine's attitude interesting, because if you... So the Redwines have the largest fleet in the Seven Kingdoms, right? And the, and the, and the Greyjoys have the second largest. I think it's close. I think, oh, yeah. I think that sometimes you hear that the Iron Fleet is the largest, but I I just find that hard to believe due to their lack of resources. Yes, and and the lack of people and the lack of finances. Yeah. To me, it always seems like the Red Wine Fleet should be larger. Um, but but it's interesting. I would have thought that if you're vying for who's got the biggest fleet, you might actually be quite antagonistic towards the Greyjoys, that you might not want an alliance with them. Unless perhaps he's a little bit of a coward and he wants doesn't want any naval battle with them, and therefore being allied with them helps him. Yeah, right. Or, or maybe, I mean, and, and sort of extrapolating that, he's talking about, you know, sort of like a naval landing on Dragonstone. Maybe he wants the Ironborn in the vanguard of that to take, you know, take the losses right <laughs> we'll be back here you guys yeah. go in there <laughs> outside whatever chain they might have <laughs> yes they learned from that chain idea <laughs> hey that's a pretty smart idea <laughs> it is possible that tywin is anticipating what he thinks the phrase might do 
than what the Starks fear the phrase might do, which is when the Starks head north and sort of get bogged down in the neck, that the phrase turn on them because they've been so slighted by Rob's marriage. Um, yeah. And then right. the, the better alliance might be with the phrase rather than the Greyjoys. Sure. And that is the, that was the fear that Rob voiced last cat chapter is yeah. we're going to, if we don't make peace with the phrase, we might get stuck in that exact spot. Yeah. And Tywin's probably smart enough to realize that's a possibility that, right. you know, and, and he also might figure, well, the Starks aren't going to have a lot of luck getting past Moat Kalen from the south. So there's no need to rush here. Let's let this play out a little bit and and see yeah. what happens before jumping into bed with the Greyjoys, which they clearly aren't all that thrilled about doing. Yeah. The, the one thing I will say is that um, I think Tywin, perhaps later in the chapter, makes the comment that Balon is not really a ruler. You know, he, he, he likes he likes to pillage and uh, right. raid. He thinks more really of plunder than conquest. Plunder over conquest, exactly. And so this this might not stick for the long term, and therefore any kind of alliance here is probably a little premature. So, yes. yeah, I, I honestly think he... De- I mean, obviously, Tywin's constantly scheming those letters could well have been around this issue, but I, I really do think he's just playing a waiting game here to see how things pan out. Right. He could have been writing wedding invitations. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so they're concerned about Lysa Aaron and the Knights of the Vale. We are less concerned because we know that she's completely cowardly and is not going to leave the Vale. Yes. But at the same time, they are a significant force and they need to be, they need to declare themselves to one side or the other. Right. Or they're going to be a constant, you know, a worry for whoever's in charge. Yeah, um, it's it's surely hard for, for the Lannisters to just ignore them because... Yeah. They are they are an uncommitted large force, and there's a lot of reasons why the Lannisters would think that the Vale would side with the Starks oh, yes. and the River Lords, as yes. he she is the the wife of John Aaron, who was the foster father to uh, to Ned Stark. She's and the Robert daughter Baratheon. and Robert Baratheon. She is the daughter of Hoster Tully, the sister of Cat, the sister of Edmure, so you certainly would not feel comfortable just thinking, ah, they're going to stay, you know, they're going to stay idle. Although, it's surprisingly, it was Mace Tyrell who actually had the right of it when he said, let her be, she's not like to trouble us, which is actually the case. But they can't just assume that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and what's interesting actually there is that Tyrion... Tyrion is the one who's got the most knowledge of this because he spent time there. He spent time with her. He knows what she's like. It's Tyrion who should have been saying what Mace Tyrell said. But in fact, Tyrion is bearing a grudge on this one. And he actually wants to, he wants command of the forces to go and raid the Vale, which seems like a terrible idea. Not just Tyrion being in command of it, but sending a force at all. I mean, I think uh, one of the lords says... um, Many an army has uh, uh, yeah, it was Mace killed itself trying on to get the, the on the bloody there. gate. Yeah, yeah so so what Mace says is let's let's um let's leave the fighting to the fighters, basically, which <laughs> Tyrion takes offense to. And then he says, you know, you you have a greater army, greater leaders than you have had trouble getting through the mountains of Moon and then smashed themselves to bits on the bloody gate. But what? Mace isn't aware of is that Tyrion likely wouldn't face trouble in the mountains of the moon. Those are his people. 
You know, the, oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the mountain clansmen. The Lannisters not exactly paying their debts to those people. Just well, that's a good point. Yes, because uh, Chella tried to come back and they shoot her away. So, uh, but of course, the Bloody Gate will be a whole other matter. There's right. no, but but then you know, I I was I was thinking back to that chapter where he and the Mountain Clansmen decided to uh, have a little bit of an alliance uh, when. Tyrion and Bronn were making their way through the mountains of the moon and at the very end of the chapter like the last line of the chapter is he tells them he'll give them the veil of Aaron so maybe this was always uh... his plan to return with a Lannister force and then use the mountain clan's knowledge of the region to some find some way to circumvent the bloody gate and then crush Liza in the veil very so now but, he's having that taken away from him, which um, I'm sure... Right, because Tywin him. does take it away from him. He already has a plan to take uh, the veil, and that's using Littlefinger. Because Littlefinger is confident that he can woo and marry Lysa and bring her to uh, the Lannister side of things. Um, Will Lysa have you? Is one of the questions that's posed to him. And he said, he, she's had me a few times before. Once again, bragging about his uh, sleeping with the... Yeah, his his attitude toward it is kind of gross. Yeah. I I have the key here between my legs is uh, another comment he uh, makes, and um, you know it's known we we've heard that he brags about taking both the Tully girls' maidenhead, which is a claim that Cat hotly disputed to Tyrion mm-hmm. when when he mentioned it. But then, based on Cat's thoughts when she was sitting with her father, and he kept saying you know, the tansy stuff and the forgiveness and all that kind of thing. She came to this idea that uh, Liza was possibly pregnant with another man's child when she married John Aaron. So it could be true of Liza. It's, it's, there's evidence to support the possibility that he might've had such relations with Liza Tully, but Kat outwardly and hotly disputes it that, uh, but he also, um, Tywin says that if Littlefinger can bring Liza and the Veil vale back into the King's Peace, that uh, Tywin will restore little Lord Robert as Warden of the East. And that's a throwback to way, way back when the uh, when Ned and Robert were actually, I think they were in the Barrowlands, and they were still in the north heading south to King's Landing. And Robert mentioned that he made Jamie warden of the east because little robert aaron was too young and sickly and of course ned very much protested against this idea of making the lannisters that much more powerful so uh you know he's they're offering this as a we'll we'll give it back to you if you if you come into the king's peace yep we also now see why little finger wanted the empty honor as Tyrion put it of of the lord of harrenhal because as Master of coin, he's got absolutely no way of marrying Lysa Arryn. But as Lord of Harrenhal, well, now Lysa Arryn might marry that because that's a significant holding, largest castle in the Seven Kingdoms, etc., right. etc. Uh, still going to be a hard sell because obviously, <laughs> I think Lysa might do it out of love because I think I think Littlefinger is not completely lying about the fact that they've had relations in the past. I think that's true, uh, sure. but the Lords of the Vale. They they share her loyalties towards the Tullys, towards the Starks. 
And knowing that Littlefinger wants the marriage in order to bring her over to the Lannister side might be a tough one to swallow for the Lords of the Vale. So I think it's not going to be an easy thing for Littlefinger to arrange. Yeah, because he's he's pretty crafty. So if anyone can do it, he might. Uh, he yes, might be the absolutely. One to, yeah, to pull but, it off. But they also might point to the fact that he's never been to Harrenhal and uh, it's currently occupied <laughs> by the North. So right, <laughs> his his claim to be Lord of Harrenhal is a little bit empty. Right, go set up residence there for a while, and then come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the loss of Littlefinger from the small council leaves a, a vacancy as Master of Coin, and Tyrion is given that role. Uh, Tyrion has a bad feeling about having a Lannister in this role. He doesn't trust. Um, Littlefinger suggested Tyrion for it, and he doesn't trust Littlefinger, so he thinks there must be a trap here. So yeah, he he says, "I feel a trap." Littlefinger is subtle and ambitious. I don't trust him, and neither should you. Is what he tells his father. And so we've heard a lot about just how heavily the crown is in debt. So possibly the trap is setting Tyrion up to be the scapegoat for why the crown has basically been beggared. There, like, there were six million golden dragons or something in debt, and four of which to his own family. Yeah. So some some stats like that. So. Yeah, uh, that that's, that's the biggest trap I could think of off the top of my head as far yeah. as Tyrion taking the role. It's a good point. So, um, but Kevin Lannister defends Littlefinger. Just just yesterday, he brought um, he you know he's he's proving his loyalty. Just yesterday, he brought news of the plan to marry Sansa Stark to Willis Tyrell. Um, so that's where they got this from from Littlefinger. Um, so then, I almost want to push this to pedantry because I've got this same comment in pedantry. <laughs> this does sort of like make the question of the timeline of the dress chapter a little bit interesting because right, she's being, again, hypothesizing that Sansa was being fit for a wedding dress at behest of the Lannisters. They would need to know this information before they did that. Yes. Or, or not necessarily, but, but, but to do it hurriedly, they would need to know that piece of information that they only got yesterday. Right. So either the chapters aren't completely chronological here. You maybe maybe Martin wanted to leave some suspense as to why the dress was being made. Right. And so put this chapter ahead of the revelation that they were going right. to marry her to to And Tyrion. and the sequence of events could have been yesterday news reached Tywin's ears. He immediately sent the dressmaker, and now the small council is hearing about it. You know, right. so this could be chronological and also not. But it just it, there's a slight strangeness to this. And, and we mentioned in that chapter that it's possible the dressmaker who mentioned that the queen regent herself commissioned this dress right. and made it sound like she talked to her could have just been trying to puff herself up a little bit like yes i'm on speaking terms with the queen regent that's how cool the I other am. thing is and, and and this this is i think a reasonable point the plan to marry Tyrion to sansa might have been in place anyway and the only thing that the news of the plan to marry sansa to willis has done is speed the timeline sure because now sure. it's like, we've got to urgently do this because we don't want her to marry anyone else. But whereas it was just like, hey, that's actually a good idea to marry Tyrion to Sansa. We could have we could have Littlefinger running the Vale, Tyrion running the North. 
Right. Cersei running Highgarden. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one other thing about Littlefinger the this this section this section of the um conversation before we move on from it is Littlefinger um Tyrion says Littlefinger is a liar and Cersei cuts him off and says a thing like um a called him black said the raven to the something or other I, yes. I can't remember the exact phrasing but basically like calling Tyrion a, a liar as well but so Cersei cuts him off. He never gets to finish what he's about to say. And I wondered if he was about to tell the dagger story that led mm. to his capture and the start of this war, basically because Littlefinger lied to Cat about Tyrion owning that dagger as a as a means of saying, no, we can't trust this guy. And here's why. But then, you know, Cersei made her comment and Tywin slammed his hand down and said, you two are Lannisters. You will behave like it. And Tyrion possibly never got back to, to finishing his thought there. Yeah. We also see how short-sighted and sort of lacking in strategy Cersei can be. She doesn't care if Mace is offended by a rejection of the Sansa Willis plan. Whereas Tywin wants to avoid that by not making by by taking away the possibility as quickly as possible. And um, so uh, I think Varys it was reports no it's Grandmaster Pycelle weirdly has this piece of information the three hundred Dornish men are headed for King's Landing. It's the only thing arrive. he says the whole chapter. It's the only line he uh, has. That they're going to arrive before the wedding. Mace doesn't like this because that means they're tramping across his land. The years of border skirmishes have left some scars. Uh, there is also more recent bad blood. It was Oberyn Martell that crippled Willis Tyrell. Yeah, it so. I'll give you a little bit on that. I I don't think we've been told specifically, but it's not really a spoiler. It was a fair... So it was during a tournament. It was a fair hit. He Oberyn hit Willis with the lance. Willis fell off, but his foot got caught on the stirrups of his horse. And the horse fell on him and Ouch. damaged his leg. Willis doesn't particularly hold any bad blood right. toward Oberyn, but apparently his father does. So. Yep. Um, Tywin slams down on this, doesn't want any infighting between his allies. Prince Doran comes at my son's invitation. He's claiming his seat on the high count, on the small council, and he wants justice for the murderers of uh, his daughter and grandchildren. Which Ty Tyrion at least has the decency to remember is Tywin, or at least Tywin's command. Well, actually, that's not what he thinks. He thinks it's Tywin that offered the bodies as sort of like supplication to the new king. But wrapped in Lannister. Wrapped in uh, Lannister cloaks. But yes. but he isn't, he isn't accusing his father of murder, but we know it was Gregor Kagan, and he's, yeah. he's yeah. Lannister dog. And, and I found the, the reactions that Tyrion noticed noteworthy. He said that... Uh, Paxter Redwine couldn't give a fig about the, the hypocrisy of this statement right. that Tywin was making, but that Mathis Rowan was fit to gag. Right. And so I just wonder if maybe Mathis Rowan is a little more uh, 
sensitive, a little, little, little more empathetic to things than possibly Paxter Redwine is. I'm not sure what we were supposed to take away from that exactly, yeah. but that's, that seemed to be what I got from it anyway. So the spoils of war get divided up. Um, the biggest news here is that uh, the Tyrells basically just absolutely destroy the Florence. They take the Florence seat and give it to their second son, uh, Garland. Yeah, yeah, Sir Garland. Yeah, um, that's. I mean, there's been there's been a, a long history there, right? The the Florence used to be the primary house of the Reach, and then they were supplanted by the Tyrells, and so this is this is finishing off a process that's been going on for a few hundred years. Yeah, yeah, sort of. So the Florence were much higher status than the Tyrells until yeah. the Field of Fire, right? When the King of the Reach died, and then. That's when Aegon the Conqueror up-jumped the Tyrells to Lord Paramount of the Reach, basically. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, they basically leapt over the Florence. So, yeah. um, And we had discussed previously lots of times about how the, there might be concern on the Tyrells' side that if Stannis won the throne, that the Florence would leapfrog the Tyrells back over again. Right, because the Florence have sided with Renly and then Stannis, so they, they, yeah. they're, they're over two on this. <clears throat> Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, you know, the Redley decision falls in line with with the what Tyrells. their Lord Paramounts yeah. did. You know what the Tyrells did. The Stannis decision, well, yeah. not so much, I guess. But but it but it is. I mean, it's kind of like a it's a toss of a coin because you know if, if Stannis were to make a comeback here somehow, then the Florence could basically assert the Tyrells' position in the Reach again, and, and would I'm sure that would be what they'll say. You know, hey, we've stuck with you through thin and thinner. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, other little bits of news that come to the small council: that a kraken was seen off the fingers. Uh, Sir Adam Marbrand has found some of the uh, pieces of the High Septon's crown, um, which was lost during the riot in King's Landing, where the, the previous High Septon was killed. Right. Yes. And um, Adam Marbrand is now the commander of the Gold Cloaks after uh, Sir Jocelyn By or Lord Jocelyn Bywater died. Um, but then he also he asks about um, Tywin asks about his son, his nephew Tyrek. Tyrek. Yeah, and Tyrek also went missing during the riots, and um, that's not Kevin's son. Uh, you know, it might because he was talking about his nephew, and Tywin's brother was sitting next to him. It might have seemed like Tyrek was Kevin's son, but it's actually the second youngest. Lannister brother Tyget, who died of a pox, it's his son. Oh yeah, and also news of a three-headed dragon being born in Carth. Um, we we know where that news is coming from. It's not quite <laughs> accurate, but um, Jorah was concerned that Danny was showing the dragons to the sailors, and that news might reach the Iron Throne. But courtesy of the uh, the telephone game nature of that <laughs> right. news, the Iron <laughs> Throne is going to ignore it completely. So no yes. reason to worry. Especially when it's coupled with a kraken being seen off the fingers, right? Sinking an Ebony's ship. <laughs> yeah. So the gold cloak deserters. I mean, I don't want to dwell on this. I mean, they they debate how to handle it. Varys and Tyrion think he should. They should go to the Night's Watch. Uh, Tywin wants to break all their knees, or hang, uh, Cersei wants to kill them all. Um, so. They decide to break their knees instead of sending them to Night's Watch. They, I mean, some of this is just spite towards the Starks and the North generally to not populate the Night's Watch. They feel like the Night's Watch is a, 
adjunct of the Northern Army, which of course it isn't. It really right. isn't. And it's just, you know, knowing we just came from a Sam chapter where we saw the existential threat that the North poses and why there is a 700 foot wall and a Night's Watch. And it just seems incredibly short-sighted to not send these people yeah. that you have betrayed you to go and defend the realm from... It's not like they're going to be fighting you anytime soon. They're the Night's Watch. Right. And I, I think it's... This is a cause of what happens when you don't have any Northern representation on your small uh, council. Point. You know, all the, These are all Reach Lords and Wester Lords. And, you know, none of them care one iota about what goes on at the... Yeah, wall. They're, they're willing to give it away, even though it's half the kingdom. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just the short-sightedness. I mean, yeah, break a few of their... That, the Tyrion's argument is break a few of their kneecaps and send the rest to the Night's Watch. Make an example of a few. He suggests the one that the ones that killed Sir Jacelyn Bywater, and send the rest to the Watch because they're needed. Because the only person, or at least that we're aware of, that of this group that has been to Castle Black and walked the top of the wall is Tyrion, and he gets, he remembers Jor Mormont's plea. We need people. Things yeah. are getting scary and dangerous up here. But 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 for Tyrion, it's been a constant source of embarrassment ever since. You know, he's tried to help, and at every yeah. turn he's been laughed at, you know. Right. So the meeting ends, and um, I noticed that Varys was the first to leave, and I wondered again if that was to go spy on what the second half of this meeting was going to entail. I don't know how much spying he does himself and how much spying are his little birds, but just like the time when Cersei and Tyrion met for the first time in the small council chamber way back in the beginning of A Clash of Kings, I believe Varys was the first to leave then as well, and so I wonder... If he quickly hustles out, gets to some spying location, and listens in on what's uh, what's said while he's not in there, so that's well, just something I noticed. The first thing he would have heard is the bomb drop that Cersei's going to remarry, <laughs> but to 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 an as yet undisclosed husband, um, uh, yeah, Tyrion. That, the first option mentioned is Balon Greyjoy, well, and Tyrion. Tyrion thanks the god he does not believe in. He says, just when I was about to give up praying, some sweet god gives me this. The, the vision of his sister being packed off to Pike is he, I, I believe the description is like he can't quite suppress the smile that is, that is threatening to spread across his face. Uh, but others are considered as well, because again, Tywin's still, and I believe genuinely, not sure if he wants this alliance with Balon Greyjoy. And Balon is married, but his wife is old and uh, believed believed on the way out. Or at yes. least would be if uh, attractive Cersei was dangled in front of him. <laughs> and he, he, uh, he compares, Tywin does, compares Balon Greyjoy and his wife to the other you know, great lords and their much younger wives. Right. Why, why he's a better better option to consider because his wife is much older than the other wives are. Yeah. Um, others that are considered are Oberyn Martell and Quentin Martell. Um, the Tyrells would not like that. But no, again... Not I mean, Oberyn, especially. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. The The thing is, you as, as the royal family 
of the Seven Kingdoms, you have to make alliances with the Seven Kingdoms. I mean, there there are seven of them. You can't all be in one basket with the Tyrells. Which does seem to be... yeah. They're, they're already marrying Joff to Marjorie. So, you know, they're double dipping here yeah. with marrying Cersei to then... Uh, you know, uh, Marjorie's older brother. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it, the Redwine twins also get a mention, and um, Theon Greyjoy is is the other mention. Uh, just to give you, just to give you some age ideas of what we're dealing with here. Oberyn Martell is in his early forties. Quinton's about seventeen. The Redwine twins are late teens, early twenties, and we know. Theon is somewhere around 21-ish, I believe we, we yes. worked it out. So Cersei is um, early 30s. I think she's yeah. uh, like maybe 33, 34, something like that. But the, the choice seems to be Willis Tyrell, um, who's in the 23 to 26 range. Uh, it does make some sense to double down that this is that the Tyrells and the Lannisters would have two marriages. Uh, they're the two richest houses. But again, there is that spreading it around thing that's being missed out on. Maybe the concern is that with a Joffrey and Marjorie marriage, that gives the Tyrells power in King's Landing. And so it'd be a counter move to get Cersei to become the Lady of Highgarden where she can exert some Lannister influence on House Tyrell from within. So it's sort of right. like a counterbalance to that. But Tyrion is worried that Willis will contract a fatal sword through the gut when Jamie finds out that he's... Yeah, gone. that is... Uh, he thought... You know, that Jamie was much younger last time that uh, Cersei was married off, and he wonders whether Jamie will be as understanding and patient uh-huh. this time around. But there's uh, Tywin describes Willis Tyrell as mild and courtly and fond of reading books and looking at stars and breeding animals, and I thought, that does sound like the perfect match for Sansa. You know, may- maybe... Yeah. He really would play with puppies and sail down the Mander on a pleasure pleasure barge with her, you know. But but it's it's very unlike George Martin to give anyone their perfect match. <laughs> so I, I think Ned and Cat uh, were about as close as we've seen, and obviously he quickly tore that apart as soon as the story opened. Uh, but and, and then speaking of not perfect matches, the the Sansa Tyrion. Uh, proposal, Tyrion thinks uh, Sansa Stark, who loves silks, songs, chivalry, and tall, gallant, handsome knights. Uh, you know, he thinks, oh goodness, she's gonna get me. <laughs> and you know, he's already got a terrible self-esteem of uh, you know about him, feelings about himself. So uh, it's not surprising that he thinks, what a terrible, cruel thing to do to Sansa Stark. Give her to me. And his father thinks, why? Are you going to uh, be cruel to her? But really, no. He just thinks he's not worthy of her. Yeah. But, but one thing about the the Sansa and Willis news that I feel like we need to at least mention, the, the marriage proposal news, is I think we should at least consider how Littlefinger got to know this information to tell the, to tell the Lannisters about it. So we know that Sansa told Ser Dantas, and um, that concerned us that he might blab accidentally or on purpose to keep his his plan as the only option right. for her to consider. It's possible that others might have known because we know that he told Sansa 
previously that he they couldn't leave right then before the battle when she wanted to leave because his friend was out of the city. Now, yeah. we can coincidentally, Littlefinger was in Bitterbridge at the time. Oh, so, not coincidentally. Yes, right. So it certainly gives some credence to Littlefinger being that friend. Right, and then you've definitely got a progression of information here from Sansa to Dantas to Littlefinger to Tywin. Yes, so that is the most logical path that this information would have taken. However, Tyrion says something just offhand in this chapter that that brings up another possibility. He points out that it was Littlefinger, not the Master of Whisperers, Lord Varys, who provided this information. So that makes you wonder, did Varys not know and got scooped by Littlefinger? Or did Varys know and hadn't reported it because he only gives out information when he sees fit. Right. And that instance, this backfired on him. So was he, if he knew, was he waiting for the right time to release and got, again, got scooped by Littlefinger? Or was he wanting to see Sansa get safely out of King's Landing? Yeah. Or maybe as a third, maybe, you know, maybe neither of these two. Yeah. Maybe Dauntus didn't tell... Littlefinger and Varys didn't know about it. Somehow yeah. Littlefinger just figured it out. But it's certainly worth thinking about how did Littlefinger find out that information it, and did Varys know? It does worry me because I think we even hypothesized at the time that Sansa told him that Sodontus might not be the right person to tell. And yes. now you've put this together for me. I'm like, oh, I think that's what's happened. I think Sodontus has told Littlefinger because he... Not because he wants to hurt Sansa, but he feels that that's a possible disruption to the plan he's got to get her out of here, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, but, but, but then if, <clears throat> if that's true, if Littlefinger genuinely wants to get Sansa out of here and is helping Sodontus in that plan, which of course could, could be completely untrue, Sodontus could be a completely ignorant patsy here, but <laughs> if it is true, then is, has this backfired? Because if they're now going to speed up a marriage between Tyrion and Sansa is that actually going to prevent the plan or if nothing else is it going to make her if the plan comes to fruition after the marriage is she lumbered with uh, Tyrion (laughs) just put Tyrion pack a suitcase too (laughs) right so um so yeah I mean we, we don't have to spend too long I think on Sansa and Tyrion I mean Tyrion is Tyrion's concerned for Sansa he feels like she's been through enough and marrying him is not exactly the reward she was looking for and he you know he's he's quite sympathetic towards her but I think at the same time he's like I am actually a nice guy you know right it wouldn't be the end of the world for her um, yeah yeah uh, I I mean obviously the the biggest issue which seems not to be an issue at all in Westeros is the fact that she is a 13 year old child and right he's in his mid to late 20s uh but i mean that seems to not be a a problem in westeros i guess so if we're overlooking that incredibly inappropriate element then i think he despite his frequent uh visitations to brothels i think he really deep down is a loyal man he he's been very loyal to shay since they've been an item you know he he loves shay he wants to be with shay i think he possibly could feel the same way about a wife 
And in fact, he thinks that a wife might be the very thing he needs, that a castle or a keep of his own away from his family where he can be his own person and not always under the in the shadow of his family members. Yeah. But overall, the plan is solid. I mean, if Sansa were to have a son, uh, that child would be welcome as Lord of the North um, if the North ever comes back and gets out from under Greyjoy control. So it's definitely possible. But the 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 last part of the chapter is, is about Rob's wedding. And of course, this is news to Tyrion. He's absolutely stunned by this news. But what's very interesting here, which we didn't see coming, is that this all feels like a plan that the Westerlings, a minor house of the Lannisters, have actually conspired with Tywin Lannister to seduce Rob Stark. Yeah. Knowing that Rob Stark is Ned Stark's son, he then marries her, betraying his alliances with the Freys and possibly fatally undermining his cause entirely. Yeah, and we we had slightly discussed that in the cat chapter when cat found out but, I didn't but believe it just it. seemed implausible exactly. right it seemed implausible at the just time too much. <laughs> but he certainly gives that idea some credence here especially unless with... unless he's just being kind of quick on his feet unless he's saying you know this has happened and i'm going to thank the westerlings for this but that doesn't right. sound like tywin no it certainly doesn't and uh you know the the very end of the chapter is quite fascinating because Tyrion says, can the Westerlings be such fools to think the direwolf could defeat the lion? And, and Tywin gives it what Tyrion puts an almost smile, which Tyrion says is terrifying to behold, and says, the greatest fools are oft times more clever than the men who laugh at them. Yeah, and it also it also goes to the fact that um, Grey Wind, is that Rob's... Direwolf yeah. Yeah. did not like the Westerlings, right? Right. Yeah. That he senses that this is actually they're actually not on his side. Huh. Yeah. So it's it's something we'll have to watch. It's a yeah. it's a very uh the, cool wrinkle. The funny thing is that when Tyrion asked the question, can the Westerlings be such fools to think that the direwolf can defeat the lion? Well, the answer to that question is not if the Westerlings marry Rob Stark. without that there was quite a good chance but with it (laughs) nope do you have some background for us mckelly i do now of course the logical subject for background here would be the rain tarbeck revolution however i didn't think we'd have enough time to cover it properly in this episode because i knew how much we had to cover in the general discussion part but no worries there will be opportunities in later chapters to talk about that i also wanted to cover the battle of ashford however that's mostly covered throughout the story we'll get bits and pieces of information from that so i will leave that alone as well instead i'm going to focus on the path that Tyrion mentions the dornish contingent will take from sunspear to king's landing so mace tyrell was irked about the prospect of dorn martell and company marching through his lands on their way to king's landing Tyrion thinks it's unlikely they would do so. Instead, he figures they'll climb the Bone Way, turn east near Summerhall, and come up the King's Road. So, the Bone Way, or the Stone Way, as it's more formally called, is a path that runs through the Red Mountains and connects Dorne and the Stormlands. The Bone Way is stony with steep, narrow slopes and twisting passages. 
There are actually steps carved in the rock of the mountain at its steepest parts. The Dornish side of the Boneway is guarded by the Castle Ironwood? Yarnwood? Ironwood with a Y? Ironwood. I say Ironwood. Ironwood with a Y? Yeah, okay. It's It looks like Ironwood, but instead of a Y, an I, there's a Y. So anyway, it's guarded by the Castle Ironwood, and the which is the seat of House Ironwood. Uh, the head of the house holds the title of Warden of the Stoneway. The path runs north past the River Wyle and ends up at Summerhall in the Dornish Marches. On the northern side, the pass ends at the ruin of Summerhall in the Dornis Marches, like I just said. Of course, that castle is best known for the tragic fire that took the life of King Aegon V and the two closest Duncans to him, the Tall, Duncan the Tall, the Lord Commander of the Royal Kingsguard, and Duncan the Small, Aegon's son and heir. All right, comparison with the television show. Uh, Tywin's first small council meeting has, only has the familiar crew, Cersei, Tyrion, Littlefinger, Varys, and Grandmaster Pycelle. Uh, the conversation is much abbreviated from this chapter, uh, but as I mentioned, news of Jamie's escape has reached them, but nothing more than that. Tywin is mad at his spies for not having any information on this. Okay. Uh, Bolton holds Harren Hall, is a piece of news that they share. Rob and company are returning to Riverrun, but no mention yet of the marriage. But that's because... Uh, this whole Westerling plot is dropped from the TV show. He marries a girl who of no station whatsoever in the TV show. And, and, and clearly is not part of a plot. So that story is dropped from the TV show. Uh, Littlefinger is off to the Vale to woo Lysa. And his being Lord of Harrenhal gives him a chance. Um, Tyrion does, is going to become Master of Coin. There's no mention at this time of Tyrion or Cersei marriages... Um, but uh, eventually the Tyrion-Sansa idea is certainly part of the show. I just couldn't find that sort of, like, in, it wasn't in this meeting that this was right. mentioned. Um, I don't remember if Cersei is told to marry someone else, but uh, I'll keep an eye on that. All right. Pedantry Corner. Um, the timing of the dress. Uh, the dressmaker was adamant that she was sent by Cersei Lannister, but Cersei seems ignorant of the plan to marry Tyrion to Sansa. Right. Right. So it just seems a little bit... I mean, we've talked about it. It's, some of it is just timing. Um, she did storm out of the small council meeting before Tyrion got his news, so maybe she was trying to avoid seeing his happy reaction to getting the news he was marrying Sansa? That's a good point. It's it's possible that Cersei knew that bit and just didn't know the the reason for it. Right. I guess. it's It's possible that she knew... Tywin had plans on marrying Tyrion to Cersei, but did not know that the Tyrells, sorry, to Sansa, but Tyrell, that she did not know that Tyrells had planned on moving, marrying Sansa to Willis. Right. So maybe there's no pedantry here, but it is a little, the whole thing's just a little bit confusing. Yes. That's all I have. News and notes. News and notes. So uh, on November 3rd, which is the week that this episode actually comes out, uh, George Martin will be meeting with Kevin Smith at Kevin's New Theater in Highlands, New Jersey. It's called Smod Castle Cinema for an interview slash just general discussion. They're going to talk about comic books and movies and TV and writing success and failures and much more. Tickets are $30 or $75 for a VIP ticket, which gets you reserved seating and a signed copy of Rise of the Dragon. You can buy the tickets at smodcastle.com. 
Um, by the time this airs, we'll have had a live uh, Buy Me A Coffee sustainer call. Um, I'm sure we had a great time. I'm sure we always do. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> you and we can got bank a, on it. Yeah. That it's going to be <laughs> we fun. Got, we got a review from uh, on podchaser.com from P.Pixotomari. Pixotomari89. Um, this is actually the only A Song of Ice and Fire podcast I was able to listen to for more than two episodes. <laughs> so we're not good, but we're better than the rest. <laughs> I'm actually on chapter 30 something of book two, and one of these days, my husband was laughing and I asked what happened and he had just thought of something that in his point of view would make it to Pedantry Corner. Reach out. Let us know. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, 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 we missed some pedantry. I'm disappointed. And he not and he's not even listening to all the episodes, but that's how captivating the discussions between these two are. 10 out of 10. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. I thought that was a really fun way to do a review right there. <laughs> that was cool. Uh, so conclusion. Um, uh, so the whole small council meeting might be just for show. I mean, like the 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 only thing that the 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 new lords who are part of the small council, Redwine, uh, Tyrell, and um, bail me out, man. Rowan, was the Rowan, <laughs> Mathis, Rowan, Rowan. Yes, <laughs> was was on the carving up the spoils of war. Otherwise, it was Tywin and Kevin basically presenting evidence and decrees and decisions to the rest of them yeah yeah and uh, this is our first time meeting mace tyrell and we can see why his mom called him lord pufferfish or puffish <laughs> or whatever she said he constantly but, but said hey, things I mean, like as a lord one of your one of your goals is to acquire more right right sure and he's just yeah. taken everything that house florent owns so <laughs> right <laughs> He was also uh, known to multiple times in this chapter say, that's what I would do, as uh, <laughs> yeah. do this because that's what I would do. But um, once again, we see that Sansa's inability to keep news to herself likely cost her here. Yes, yes, it does feel like she told Dantas and Dantas told Littlefinger and Littlefinger told the small council of Tywin Cersei. Lannister. She's yeah. not who she wanted to tell this to. <laughs> and as a result, she's going to end up not married to uh, the the heir to Highgarden, but instead the uh, heir to absolutely nothing at all, <laughs> right. Lannister. So. Which has been confirmed by his father in no uncertain terms. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can certainly understand her telling Dantos. I mean, he's been a friend to her, basically her only confidant in the Red Keep. He's seemingly made big plans for her escape that are no longer needed so she possibly felt the need to inform him oh everything you've just done for me guess what i'm not going to need that after all i've got a different plan route i'm going to go here but you know maybe the third time will be the charm and the next time something comes up she'll just not say anything yeah yeah, and, and so yeah, timing is everything. So uh, when when these marriages are scheduled, it does seem that with this knowledge, the Lannisters are going to make sure that she's married before she can ever get out of town. So, but yeah. Littlefinger has this. You know, we, we're speculating that Littlefinger has this plan to rescue her, and so maybe there is a a, a third horse in this race. There's right. two two marriages but there's also this escape plan and so which one of yeah. these comes first we shall see at the very least we know dantas has a plan 
But yeah. his plan is the wedding day. So maybe... Oh, that's right. It's for the wedding day. And yeah. yes. and, and the worrying thing there is you could imagine the Lannisters waiting till then for the, the Tyrion Sansa wedding. But the we- the dressmaker said that it would be her dress would be ready long before you know plenty of time for the royal wedding. So right. that makes you think it's going to be before. Yeah, and Tywin said that Mace is not going to mention the Sansa Willis betrothal idea before the royal wedding. He'll wait right. till after. So as long as they marry Sansa to Tyrion before the royal wedding. And, and presumably then... the Tyrells aren't planning to leave town until after the royal wedding. And so Sansa's stuck there through that time. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, Jamie, of course, is on his way back. And if he gets back, he might want to stop this Cersei Willis wedding. Um, right. I'm sure he I, would. I, we have not seen Jamie interact with his father. We don't know if Jamie has any kind of special connection with his father, being, you know, his firstborn son that he had hoped to groom as heir, or if there's contention there because he joined he joined the Royal Kingsguard instead of being his heir. We don't know. We don't know what kind of relationship they have. Whether Jamie might have the power to convince uh his father to not marry Cersei off to at least at least yeah, Willis Tyrell push it down the road a bit. Yeah, and of course he I don't think he might object to the fact that she gets married. It's just not being in King's Landing would be the issue for him. But yes. perhaps perhaps he could have Joffrey release him from his vows and then join her in King's Landing in in High Garden. Yeah, or send her send him to protect her. You right, know, as be Queen her. Regent. Yeah, as, yeah. as, as yeah. But, you know, I I actually was thinking about part of their reasoning for marrying Cersei, uh, Tywin and Kevin, is that a marriage reduces the um, incest claim that Stannis is making. Right. But I think the bigger reduction is keeping... Jamie away from Cersei and right. Cersei getting pregnant. Right. I think I think <laughs> I think that's the problem with anything Jamie wants. Tywin wants them apart. Right. right. Yes. The, the the further apart they are, the that hurts the claim more, especially right. if she gets pregnant. Yeah. So actually Jamie being in chains in River Run worked for, for <laughs> Yes, Tywin for Tywin's plans that worked perfectly. Um so next week we're off to River Run to see what Kat's up to. Um, in the meantime, you could help us out by leaving us a review. You could buy merchandise at ghostsofharrenhall.threadless.com. You could buy us a cup of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharrenhall. Or you could become a sustainer there at the Lord Paramount or Knight of the Realm level. Join us for our live discussions. Uh, get your episodes a day early and ad-free and lots of other perks too. That's right. And, of course, you can always reach us at ghost.heronhall at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at ghostheronhall or on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.